Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Rick Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Praise God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, over all the cattle, and over all the earth, and upon every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Second chapter, verse 7. And the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. The only thing that God created with a living soul was mankind. And verse 21, and the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof, and the rib which the Lord had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. The second greatest thing that God ever created was the human body. It is truly a masterpiece but it is only the second of God's greatest masterpieces. And today I want to speak to you about God's greatest masterpiece. Greatest masterpiece. God bless you. You may be seated. I am extremely blessed to be able to have a place up in northern Wisconsin where I have seen some of the most magnificent sunsets and sunrises. No artist has ever been able to duplicate the masterpieces that God creates in nature. I have been blessed to be able to look up in the sky at night and see a countless number of stars, a full moon, magnificent. Truly magnificent. Again, a masterpiece. But the human body goes beyond all of that. I'm going to give you just a a couple of quick notes about the human body. Did you know that the human body is four times stronger than concrete? Produces enough saliva to fill two swimming pools in your lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. The stomach acid that you have is strong enough that it could dissolve zinc. Your nose, depending on its size, has the ability to recognize 50,000 different smells. Your body creates enough heat in 30 minutes that it could boil a gallon of water. Your body has 45 miles worth of nerves in it. Half of your body's bones are in your hands and they are in your feet. Your body produces enough carbon to produce in a lifetime 1,000 pencils. Did you know a human sneeze? We'll see if this happens during the service today. A human sneeze can travel at a thousand miles an hour. So if you hear somebody sneeze, don't even bother ducking. (laughs) Did you know that your human heart 
pumps 2,000 gallons of blood per day. And it doesn't even need to be told to. Amazing masterpiece, this human body. But the human body is subject to sickness and it is subject to sin. And these eventually can affect not only the body, but the soul and the spirit of all of mankind. However, God has an antidote. An antidote for sickness and an antidote for sin. And just one touch from this creator of these magnificent masterpieces can heal and can save a person's life. That's how powerful one touch from the master's hand is. Mark chapter five talks about a woman and says, there was a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years, suffered many things of physicians, spent all that she had, and was nothing bettered, but rather she grew worse. Have the doctors ever failed you? Misdiagnosed you, failed to diagnose you, not been able to help you? Such was the case for this woman. But when she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and she touched the hem of his garment. For she said, if I may but touch his clothes, I shall be made whole. I should point out to you that the hem of the garment is down by the ankles. The dirty feet of a person as they walk on a dusty road. But she didn't care about the dirt and she didn't care about the sweat. She didn't care about the stink. She just needed to get any piece of him that she could find. And the only place she could get this day because of the crowd was at his feet. And so she reached from his feet to the hem of his garment and she touched Jesus. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. But there's another touch here. Jesus immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, who touched my clothes? You see, it's not enough that the master touches you, but it's also you touching him that really matters. We need to be touched by God on a regular basis, on a regular basis. It appears that people recognize this because if you look at Matthew chapter 14, they start picking up where this woman left off. And when the man of that place had knowledge of him, they saw, sought him out in the country round about and brought unto him all that were diseased and besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched him were made perfectly whole. I just have to touch Jesus. That's what a worship service is all about. That's what an altar call is all about. That's what prayer is all about. 
It's not just reciting and repeating things that we've said to God over and over. It's touching Jesus. That's what really matters. These people began to recognize that touching even his clothing was enough. In Matthew chapter eight, behold, there came a leper, verse two, worshiped him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and he touched him. He touched him. I will, he said, be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Or how about the blind man in Mark chapter eight and verse 22? He came to Bethesda and they bring a blind man unto him and besought him to touch him and he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town because of unbelief. And when he spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw, he touched him. The man looked up and, and in total honesty said, I see men as trees walking. In other words, my sight is not perfectly clear, but I, I can see what I didn't see before. And after that, he put his hands upon him, his eyes and made him look up and he was restored and saw every man clearly. Now we're advancing to another level. It's not enough always to have just one touch. We might need a second touch or a third or a 365 in a year. But we need to touch Jesus again and again and again. And if it doesn't happen the first time, that doesn't mean we quit and we get angry and disappointed with God. God, I prayed and this didn't happen. Until God tells you to stop praying, you keep praying. You keep reaching out and you keep touching. Even the children in Luke chapter 18, they brought unto him also infants that he would touch them. The parents wanted their children to be touched by Jesus. Are there any parents in here today that still want their children So what did they do? They brought the children. We know where Jesus is going to be. Now Jesus doesn't care about children. He only cares about paying adults. That's not true. That's just not true. His disciples saw it and they rebuked him. Ah, the master shouldn't be bothered. But Jesus called unto him and said, Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not for of such is the kingdom of God. Bring them on. Put them on my lap. I want to touch them, and I want them to be able to touch me. I want them to learn at an early age what they need to know in a relationship with God. I'm so glad for parents that worship and have their children right alongside of them, and they're, they've got their hands in the air, they're singing with their voice. They're worshiping. Do you know that that little child that's sitting next, do you know that even a baby in his mother's womb knows a worshiper? I'm so glad to see little children. They're looking around. I'm trying to be like mom and dad. I know this is what I'm supposed to do. We need to train up a child in the way he should go. 
And when he is old, he will not depart from it. There might be a season where they're not there. But what they've learned from their parents, the fact that they came to an altar at an early age and were touched by Jesus, they will never forget it and they will never be the same. All because the master allowed them to be touched at an early age and the parents exampled them in how to touch Jesus. Touch Jesus. And in preparing this message today, I've, I've asked Katie to come and, and sing some songs with us today about how, how important it was even way back when to touch Jesus. And today I want to take just a couple of choruses. We're not going to sing a long time, but we're going to sing about touching Jesus. And I want you to remember, maybe have some flashbacks, maybe even some pictures in your mind about touching Jesus at an altar or even in your home, touching Jesus. Reach out and touch the Lord as he passes yes, by. We're going to touch you today. You will find he's not too busy to hear your heart's cry. He is passing by this moment. Your Together. Let's worship just a little bit here. He passes by. You will find he's not too busy. He's not too busy. He's right next to you right now.
glad for the touch of the master the touch of the master's hand hallelujah hallelujah Hebrews 4 and 15 reads this way for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in our time of need. Can't you just picture yourself appearing before his throne, maybe even on your knees, and him reaching over and touching you because you came to his throne of grace and he's there to touch and meet your need. Aren't you glad for a God that still touches people today? Hallelujah. 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 You may be seated. Jeremiah 18, verse 1. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I'll cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. The vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again. Another vessel, as seemed good to the potter, to make it. The greatest tools that a potter has are his hands. Sometimes we feel like we're on a wheel and we're spinning and we're going nowhere. We're just going in circles. 
but really we're on the potter's wheel and his hands are on us and he's working on us because he sees a vessel that is marred and scarred and so he's going to make the vessel again in a fashion that pleases him. That's what happens to us when we come to God in our sin and in our brokenness. You see, we're nothing but glorified mud balls. A little spit in a little dirt in his hands becomes a man and becomes a woman. But I believe in a born again spirit. I believe in a second touch. I believe that every man must be born again of the water and of the spirit. And we may feel like when we first come to God, we're spinning around on a, re- uh, on a wheel and, and we're confused about our life and all the problems and the turmoil. But when we begin to weep, the hardness of our lives softens us in repentance. And the softness that comes to the hardness that we once had allows the potter to put his hands and his touch on the vessel again. He sees the mars and he sees the scars, but he knows what to do with clay. He's an expert at taking something that would appear to have little value and when it's placed in his hands and when he touches it and he begins to shape it, he can create an incredible masterpiece of something that the world would say has no value has no purpose, has no reason, is ugly. But one touch from the master's hand can change everything in your life. Everything in your life changes. We're the ones that have been marred and scarred, but our tears in repentance and in godly sorrow allow the master to reshape our lives. Now, I have new ears and I can hear when God talks to me. Now my eyes are open and I can see things in God's word and in my everyday life where God is doing something. Now my mind thinks differently. I can have a Christ-like mind. My heart is sensitive to the needs of others and the call of God on my life. You see, I now think and I now feel differently because the touch of the master's hand is on me. We need the touch of the master's hand. And I want to share this with you because I believe God's going to do some supernatural things here this morning. Genesis chapter 32. In Genesis chapter 32, we find a man by the name of Jacob. Jacob means deceiver. He has deceived his brother and stolen his birthright. He has deceived his father and stolen the blessing with the help of his mother. And When Esau comes in from the field thinking that his father, who is pretty well blind and near death, is going to give him the blessing, he finds out that his brother stole it. And he declares at that moment, the next time I see Jacob, 
I will kill him. His mother sends him to Laban. The punishment for what she did is she will never see Jacob again. Never see her son again. The punishment for Jacob is that he will work for Laban for 20 years and be deceived on several occasions. But as it is in life, whatsoever a man soweth, so shall he also reap. And in Genesis chapter 32, Jacob has been made aware that Esau's coming down the road and he's got several hundred men with him. And he knows that tomorrow they will meet. So he decides that he's going to take two wives, one that he got through deception and one that he got through choice, and he divides the two families and sends them in opposite directions. And then he says, I'm going to get alone with God. I'm not taking anybody with me, but I've got to hear from God. And in Genesis chapter 32 and verse number 24, we pick the story up. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. This is a theophany. A theophany is a temporary form of God. God has taken on the form of an angel. You read about him a little bit later. To wrestle with Jacob. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And the angel said, let me go, the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name will be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and you have prevailed. You have prevailed. Here's what I want you to hear this morning. Most important part of the message. There comes a time in every person's life where they need to be alone with God. Can't take anybody with you. You gotta just be alone with God and you gotta get some answers. I, I would never wanna hurt anybody's religious faith, but I'm here today to tell you that we cannot genuflect before God. Take a knee, wave our arms, get up and walk away and expect to be touched by God. Jacob said, you guys go that way, I'm going this way, and I'm not coming back until I hear from God and until I get what I need from God. Brother Dredska, can I borrow you for a minute? Let me give you an example of what I'm trying to say this morning. Let Brother Dredska represent God here for a minute. Jacob's alone, and finally, God takes on this theological form, and when he realizes it and he sees it, he grabs onto him with both hands, and he won't let go. And there's a wrestling match. I won't embarrass you, because you're bigger, you could hurt me. <laughs> But there's a wrestling match that goes on with a, with a human being. A human being. And a God who has all power. But God allows his power to be limited so that they wrestle and they struggle. Struggling is not a bad thing. 
Problems are not a bad thing. Some of our greatest victories are wrapped or packaged in trials. And when we defeat this trial, we have that victory, but the wrapping didn't look so good. But he finally got a hold of God and he wouldn't let go. So finally, the angel says, now that's enough. You need to let me go. I I got other places to go or other things to do. So you let me go. And Jacob is very disrespectful. I'm not letting you go until I got what I came for. How many of us are like that? Thank you, Brother Dredska. How many of us are like that? I'm so glad for a church that when the pastor stands up and says, I want you to come to this altar today and spend some time with Jesus, that 90% of the people will leave from where they're standing and they will come to the front and get in a prayer closet and spend some time in prayer. And I am really, really thankful for that. I'd like 100%. But I'm glad for the 90 that come. But I want to say this to the 90. Don't get up. Don't let go. Don't leave. Until you got what you came for. I will not let you go until you give me what I came for. He wasn't asking for money. He wasn't asking for great possessions. He was in a trial. He was afraid. He knew what was gonna happen tomorrow and he couldn't face it alone. He knew he had, oh, he knew he had to get a hold of God and that only God could save him. Are we that desperate? Are we that determined that we will come to an altar and say, I ain't leaving this spot until I receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I'm not leaving this spot until I get my healing. I'm not leaving this spot until those spirits that are on me that steal all my peace and my joy are off. I'm not leaving till I get what I came for. I will not let you go except you bless me. Listen, folks, God doesn't want to tickle you. He wants to touch you. Oh, I felt the presence of God in church today. We were worshiping God and weren't those great songs and we felt the presence of God and God tickled our soul and We feel good about the fact that we can still feel the presence of God, and that is a good thing. But that's only a tickle. God wants to touch. God wants to touch. God wants you to wrestle with him a little bit. Get a hold of him. Be so determined that you won't leave till you got what you came for. Is anybody hearing me preach today? I'm not leaving till I get what I got what I came for. I remember being a young man 22 years old, I was so excited about this truth, I wanted everything I could get from God's word. I didn't even have the Holy Ghost and and God was showing me things in his word and I felt like I was hearing from God but I didn't have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I, I, I sought it. My wife and my brother and I would always come to the altar and seek God and, and I have to admit that one day much shorter period of time than than the time I spent, 
both my wife and my brother, side by side, received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. They brought me over there and said, hey, come on over here, Rick. Listen to your wife. And I know my wife ain't no faker. And I mean, she's got tears coming down her face, and she's crying, and she's speaking a language that I have never heard before. And here's my sincere brother. You know, we may kid each other, but the guy loves God. He's got a tender heart. And that tender heart toward God, God just couldn't resist the invitation that Steve gave him that day, and God filled Steve with the Holy Ghost. And I was so happy for both of them and so discouraged about the fact that I didn't have the Holy Ghost. For six months, three times a week, I would come to the altar. I would get on my knees, get in my position. You know how to do it. Get on your knees, bow your head, fold your hands. Wait for God to do something. I did it. I had people come around, they'd pray for me. Put hands on me, lay hands on me. Oh God, help him to let go. Then the other guy on the other side would say, help him to hang on. I was confused. But I was prideful. I stayed longer than most people. I wasn't genuflecting, I really wanted the Holy Ghost. My pride was in the way. Until one day, after six months, a man said to me, Rick, he said, you come back to church tonight and you be prepared to call in work tomorrow and ask for a personal day. I said, why would I do that? He said, because with the day that you get so determined that you won't leave the altar, that it means more to you to receive the Holy Ghost than it does to make money, to eat another meal, to watch a Packer game, when you get to that point where you're so desperate that you're gonna stay there as long as it takes, that's the day God's gonna fill you with the Holy Ghost. Did anybody hear what I just said? So I did. I came to church that night. The message, man, it was for me. I thought the preacher must have been reading my mail again. I came to the altar. I got my spot. I got in my position, and I was ready for God to fill me with the Holy Ghost. But can I tell you this? Only they that hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled. When you seek me diligently and with all of your heart, then, then will you find me. I wasn't quite there yet, but I got in position. My friend tapped me on the shoulder. I was in the bowed position. He said, Rick, I never saw anybody get the Holy Ghost with their face in their hands. Because this is the way I'd pray. Like I'm embarrassed. I'm not worthy. I'm sinful. Listen, God can work through your dirty thoughts, your filthy sins. He can touch you and deliver you of every kind of spiritual leprosy. Is anybody preaching with me today? Of every kind of spiritual leprosy that there ever has been. He can deliver every addict, cancel every disease, wash away every sin. Is anybody preaching with me today? He can do this when he touches your life. He can do this. 
Never saw anybody get the Holy Ghost with a face in their hands. I know what that meant. He wanted me to lift my hands. That was hard for me. You know, it's hard when you got a lot of pride to, to surrender. Prideful men don't like this position. They don't like this either. They don't like this. Prideful men just, all right, God, you want to bless me, go ahead. I'll take it. God's not going to do anything with that attitude. If we can smell 50,000, he can smell your attitude from a long ways off. So, all right, I'll take a chance. I know what it means, though, right, Brother Hearn? When you lift your hands, that means people are going to start coming around you. The guy's, the guy's getting serious. So they all start coming around me. Hands are up. I'm praying the best I know how. Oh, Jesus, I want your Holy Spirit. I need your Holy Spirit. And they're screaming and yelling around me. And he said, hey, why don't you start worshiping God? When God makes a promise, you don't need to be a beggar. That's good preaching. When God makes a promise, you don't need to be a beggar. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promises unto you and to your children and to those that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So if you've repented and you've been baptized in Jesus' name, you've got a promise on your life that God wants to touch you and fill you with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So I said to the man, these people are so loud that I can't even hear myself You know what he said to me? Pray louder than they do. Well, I didn't want to do that. Why not? Pride. They might hear me. Here's what what matters, folks. When we get to the point where the only thing that matters is that God hears us. And it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about us. That's when God's going to do the miraculous. That's when God's going to put his hand on you. That's when God's going to fill you with the Holy Ghost. Sure. You want to know what the good news is? After I started shouting louder than them, God, I'm desperate. I want your spirit more than I want to live. I don't care how long I have to stay here. I'm not living one more day without your spirit in my life. Boom, God filled me with the Holy Ghost. Just like that. Easy. Easy. I didn't have to take off a day of work. I was probably there 10 minutes. And then I spoke in tongues for I don't know how long. And it felt so good. Out of my innermost being were flowing rivers of living water because Jesus touched me when my pride was broken, when I was desperate and I wanted God more than anything else, when I said, I will not let you go. Except you bless me. And I'll stay here till you do. Let's stand together. I've made my point. 
There's, there are people in this sanctuary today. Your life feels marred and scarred. But if you would just come to an altar of repentance and cry it all out before God, God would take your tears and your hardness and he'd become the potter that you so desperately need. He would touch your life and begin to shape it in a fashion that would be pleasing to him. If you would get to the point where I'm not just gonna come and make an appearance at the altar, say what I always say, get up and leave as I always have, then God, today, could touch you and fill you and heal you and save you and change you. If he can do it with the physical, the lepers, the blind, can he not do it spiritually? Touching Jesus is all that really matters. Then your life will never be the same. There's only one way, only one way to touch him. Just believe when you call on his name. Let's just worship the Lord just for a moment here. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done, what you're about to do in this service. You're the one that baptizes with the Holy Ghost and fire. You're the one that heals and delivers. You're the one that saves. Lord, by your... Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.